The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. And that's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to uh, WGBB Sports Talk New York. Thanks for tuning in here on this Sunday night as uh, we come to the end of the summer here. Uh, I know we still got a couple more weeks, but really once September hits, for me at least, summer's completely over. So we've got just about the summer in the rearview mirror. It has been quite an up and down summer in this uh, New York sports landscape, especially for our uh, New York baseball teams. Two teams going in completely opposite directions. Um, you know, we'll get to that in a minute as the Mets are sinking like a rock and the Yankees continue to prove the doubters and the haters and everything wrong and just continue to rip off win after win after win in typical Yankee fashion. We'll get to that in a minute, but I'm your host, Rob Kramer. Uh, it's the first time I've been on in a while, so thanks for having me on again. Um, you know, uh, I've been really chomping at the bit to get back here. Um, it, there's been so much going on, uh, with sports. I mean, especially now we got, uh, NFL training camp winding down right now. Um, you know, it, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to be getting NBA training camp and NHL training camp starting again. So this is one of the most fun time, uh, of year, uh, you know, of, of the year really to follow, all the uh, the major sports going on, especially even college football starting up in the next week or two. Um, but, you know, before we get in, into all that, uh, you can check out Sports Talk um, New York, WGBB Sports Talk. You can check us out on Twitter, at WGBB Sports Talk. Check out the station at WGBB Radio on Twitter, uh, WGBBSportsTalk.com. Check us out there. And also, check out AM1240.com, WGBB.com. Uh, so you can check out all of our links there. Also, we're on Facebook. Uh, give us a like over there. And if you if you really want, you can follow me on Twitter at my last name Kramer New York NY. So check me out there. Uh, always a lot of fun content going out there, uh, especially for WGBB. So many great shows and hosts and everything. So don't hesitate to check us out. Um, but as we turn our attention uh, back to the sports now. Um, you know, like I mentioned before, the, the New York Mets have been a complete train wreck for weeks now. It's been one of the more disappointing seasons that I can ever remember because for a 90-day stretch, for just about three consecutive months, from May until the end of July, the Mets held on to first place that entire time, enticing you into thinking that this team is going to be a competitive one, um, but you know what, really, we should have seen the, uh, the writing on the wall. Um, you know, the, the Mets today, they, they won 9-4 over the Nationals. That's great, you know. 63-67 and 67 on the year now. Four games under 500. Would you believe that on June 16th, this team was 35-25? and 35-25, and 25. think about that. They have been so bad since that point. It's unbelievable. Um, but 35 and 25, they're 10 games over 500. They're four games 
under 500 now. Seven and a half games back in their division. On July 31st, let's fast forward it even from that date I just mentioned. July 31st, six weeks after the 10 games over 500 high water mark. They were 55 and 48 and had a four game lead on the day they acquired Javi Baez. Now remember his name because he's found himself embroiled in the center of a controversy where it's been the Mets pitted against their fans that we'll get into in a minute. Um, but so since the date they acquired Javi Baez, the Mets have gone eight and 19. They went from four games up in the division on the Braves and the Phillies to seven and a half games back. In a span of just over three weeks, the Mets have lost 11 and a half games in the standings. Mind-boggling. It's, it blows, it really defies logic how they have lost this much ground in such a short amount of time. It's almost more impressive than in 2007 when the Mets blew a seven-game lead with 17 games remaining in the season and managed to finish a game out of first place. Uh, it's almost more impressive than that. It might be. You have to sit down there and think about it, how the awfulness is compared to one another. But uh, it's it's close. It's close. And the highlight of the Mets going, um, you know, from first to third and dropping these 11 and a half games was the 2 and 11 mark that they posted against two of the better teams in not only the National League but baseball overall you have the Giants who are the best team in baseball record wise this year and the defending world champion Los Angeles Dodgers now the Mets played them for 13 straight games 13 straight days from August 13th to uh, August 26th in that time they won twice they went 2-11. and 11. Once again, I used the word mind-boggling before because it's crazy that they couldn't have accidentally won two or three more of those games, including going 0-6 at City Field, where they've been one of the better teams at home this year. They went 0-6 there. They were also one of the better one-run teams, you know, over that stretch. They dropped a million one-run games in this stretch. Uh, you know, and now... After all that awfulness has passed us, the hardest part of the schedule is in the rearview mirror, and you say to yourself, okay, over the next week, from today, uh, or I'm sorry, from Tuesday until next Monday on Labor Day, the Mets will play nine straight games against two bad teams. The Miami Marlins, they get them for four, from Tuesday a doubleheader, and then single games on Wednesday and Thursday, and then over the weekend... They play five games against the Nationals, including the uh, Labor Day matinee, um, you know, against the uh, the Nats. Uh, the shocking thing about that is that, that the chance to make up ground with that and everything is not the uh, the biggest story. That's not the thing we're going to be talking about today, because there were some even more mind-boggling comments that we saw. Um, from the Mets today, and it really is directed at uh, Javi Baez. You know, Javi Baez, um, we saw today the Mets, three players specifically, Francisco Lindor, Javi Baez, and Kevin Pillar, doing this new celebration that we saw the Mets doing, uh, giving the thumbs down symbol. 
Now, the Mets have had, over the past couple of years, certain things they'll do when they'll get a big hit. You know, like, uh, they'll make, like, a revving thing, like they're revving a motorcycle up type thing, or they'll just point at the bench or wave or stuff like that. They've done a lot of, you know, little quirky things like that to celebrate big hits or wins or anything like that uh, over the last couple of years. Now, and even this season, before this. Now, just today... And it might have even started yesterday, but I didn't really notice it. But um, at least today, we saw the Mets doing the thumbs-down motion. And I, I got to admit, I, I saw it earlier today. I didn't really think much of it. I thought it was just another dumb thing they were doing to, you know, kind of get the guys revved up on the bench. And I get it. Okay. Whatever you want to do. But now, this has turned into complete distraction because it turns out that this playful little thumbs down where fans really didn't know what was going on is really a diss at all the fans that, believe it or not, ladies and gentlemen, had the gall to boo these major league players that they're paying their hard-earned money to see, by the way, in the middle of a pandemic still. So they're even in technically risking their health to watch these grown men play baseball, and they're out there, and these guys are actually mad that they're getting booed because they suck. Now, I'm sorry if that's a little jarring what I just said, but it's true. They have sucked for the last month. And even before that, they had a chance to put their boot on the throat of the Phillies and the Braves. Ever since that date in June, June 16th, that I mentioned, they had a chance to put their boots on other teams in this division, they've had so many games slip away, slip through their fingers, like when they lost three out of four to the Marlins earlier this 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 week, uh, I'm sorry, earlier this month, right after the July 31st trade deadline where they got Javi Baez. Well, yeah, Javi Baez had a big hit in that series, um, but they ended up losing three out of four. So he didn't have enough big hits in that series. Now, what this is all coming down to is this is – this is exactly what was said. Uh, I, I don't have the clip, unfortunately. I tried to get it, but um, I, I, I couldn't get it at the time. But this is what Javi Baez said earlier today regarding Met fans booing them and the thumbs-down symbol. He said, this is to let them know that when we don't get success, we're going to get booed. So they're going to get booed when we do get success. It feels bad when I strike out and I get booed. It doesn't really get to me. But I want to let them know that when we're successful, we're going to do the same thing to let them know how it feels. They're going to put more pressure on the team. Uh, and now this is Javi Baez on the Mets' th thumbs-down celebration. Uh, in my case, they got to be better. It's just how I feel. I love the fans. I like playing for the fans. But we can't have our fans against us. I'm sorry, Javi. You know, I was hot. I, I was happy when the Mets acquired him. Uh, I I understand. You know, you played in a place in Chicago where they don't really boo as much as New York fans do. They might not even really boo that much at all. Um, and said, you know, very similar to Cardinal fans in in that respect. You know, it's the Midwest. Well, hey, guess what? You're on the East Coast now. Um, you know, you're you're you come and play in a place like New York. You come in a play in a place like Boston or Philadelphia, you think they're going to put up with the nonsense that 
uh, we've seen from this Mets team, especially in clutch situations this year, where for most of the season, this team cannot hit with the bases loaded. For a while this year, they were hitting around 130 with the bases loaded. 130. Javi Baez mentioned today in the press conference that, you know, 70% of the time, uh, you know, the players are going to fail. Well, that's a 300 hitter, Javi. You're nowhere near 300. So I don't want to hear 70% of the time because it's more than that for you. And it's the same thing. When you're hitting 130 with the bases loaded and you're hitting 163 with runners in scoring position, that means more than 80% of the time. And in some cases, closer to 90% of the time, you're not getting the job done. That's not the fan's fault for reacting because guess what? If you were getting the hits, they'd be cheering you. When there's runners on base, the pressure is on the pitcher. And the Mets' approach and everything surrounding this team, especially from an offensive standpoint, has been a disgrace this whole season. Even before this, you know, the recurring Jacob deGrom injuries, which I love Jacob deGrom, but you know what? I also love watching him pitch. So, you know, not being able to get this guy out on the field and... Um, you know, and continue this great season and everything, you know, and, and even before that, I mean, he, he was lucky this season that, that, uh, he, the Mets actually provided him a, a tiny bit of run support and he was still seven and two with as great as he was this year. But we haven't seen him since July 6th and I don't think he's going to be coming riding in on any white horses anytime soon. Um, it doesn't really seem to me like, uh, um, this team has a September run in them. Um, as a matter of fact, the, the next date that Jacob deGrom is able to come off the, uh, the disabled list or the injured list, whatever they call it now, is September 13th, Monday, September 13th, the day after their three game series with the Yankees at City Fields ends. Um, you know, a lot of things are gonna have to change by then if the Mets are gonna be playing meaningful games. Um, this team is going to have to be going on a tear. Javi Baez and uh, and Francisco Lindor and Kevin Pillar, if they want to keep doing the thumbs-down thing to the fans, well, you know what? Do it all the way to the World Series. Prove the fans wrong. Prove me wrong, because I don't think they have it in them right now. Uh, I think that we're going to be seeing a major overhaul this offseason. I've never seen a team that has had such a bad month of baseball, such a, a putrid month of baseball, now get cocky after winning two games against the Nationals who are barely fielding a team. <laughs> I mean, how do you get cocky off that? I, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Now we got to listen to an attitude from from Javi Baez because he's mad they were getting booed when they've stunk it up. I mean, think about it. They've won the last two days. That means... I said their record in, in August before that was 8-19. and 19. That means they were 6-19. and 19. They lost 19 of 25 games. And you, first of all, lost on Friday night to the awful, awful Nationals. And then you beat them the next two days, and you're going to come to us with an attitude and act like we owe you something? You know what? Go out there and beat the Nationals uh, o- over the next weekend five straight. How about that? How about if you go 5-0 and against the Nationals next weekend and four, make it 9-0? and Let's push it up. You get four games against the Marlins, five games against the Nationals. If you go 9-0, and 
then you can talk. If you don't go 9 and 0, if you go even 8 and 1, I don't want to hear it because there's no room for error now. Zero. You've made it this way. They've made their bed, now they have to lay in it. The Braves completely remade their team on the run this year. The Mets chose to get Rich Hill, who was a good acquisition. I like Rich Hill. But you know what? If you knew in the back of your head that there was a chance, even the slightest chance, Jacob deGrom is going to be out for any period longer than the two weeks they initially said, you have to get Jose Berrios from the Twins. And, you know, I got to tell you, I love Steve Cohen just as much as any other Met fan, but if... The tr- if the if the reports that came out are true, that one of the hang-ups in a, a Jose Barrios trade from the Minnesota Twins to the New York Mets was that they didn't want to pick up a, the, a larger portion of the remaining salary that he had for this season, which isn't a very high salary to begin with anyway. Uh, if that if that was the Wilpons, we would be killing them. We would be raking them over the coals right now, and we can't let Steve Cohen get away with it just because we like him. And whoever's decision that was, because it was Zach Scott's decision, that's a real dumb move on his part, because you're not going to have anybody backing you up for the uh, the permanent GM spot when, you know, his, because right now, Zach Scott, the Mets acting GM, is going to be up for either, you know, he's either going to be fired or moved out of that position after this year, or the Mets are going to name him the permanent GM. And I don't think he did himself any favors at the trade deadline. And look, am, am I a fan of the talent that Javi Baez brings to the field? Absolutely. The guy brings better defense to anywhere he's playing in the infield. Um, he has that camaraderie with Francisco Lindor, which, you know, uh, it goes a long way. It goes a long way in, in the clubhouse. And... You know, I I want to like Javi Baez, but hearing him say that about the fans and and everything, it's it's just so dumb. It's just not a smart move in New York to pick a fight with the fans because it's a fight you're not going to win. And it's a fight we've seen people have in the past and they end up getting moved out and are an afterthought. And I don't want Javi Baez to be an afterthought, but I don't know if Javi Baez is going to be the type of player that the Mets wanted, especially after this, and especially, you know, how he fits in the lineup. He's a big swing and a miss player. Uh, he's a free agent after this season. You really have to wonder if the Mets are going to be wanting to commit $150 million plus dollars to this guy. Sure, he's young. Sure, he's talented. You know, but um, I don't know. I think there are better way to allocate those dollars than to spend them on Jose, uh, on, uh, on Javier Baez. And part of that would have been Jose Barrios. <laughs> I would have loved to have him in this rotation now. Uh, but that's not coming. But, you know, right now Noah Syndergaard's on the mend. He's got COVID today. Today's his birthday. Happy, to, happy birthday, Noah, too, by the way. Uh, he's, he's got COVID. So, um, I know he tweeted it out jokingly today about it. So I'm hoping, that his symptoms aren't too bad. I know he's vaccinated, so, uh, you know, get well soon, Noah Syndergaard. Hopefully he uh, he's back in action. He was supposed to have his second rehab start today, coming back from Tommy John surgery. You know, that uh, he's going to be throwing fastballs and change-ups the rest of the year. No sliders and curveballs from him. They say that's what, what hurt him when he had a setback uh, back in May um, in his first attempt coming back from Tommy John. Um, this is his second 
So they're hoping it's going to go a little bit better, but <laughs> this, uh, this COVID thing right here isn't exactly the best omen. So just got to keep your fingers crossed and hope Noah stays healthy. Uh, I, I know Jake was out there thrown again today for a while. So you got to be real happy seeing Jake out there and just hope, Hey, uh, September 13th, just over two weeks from today is when Jacob deGrom can return in these two weeks where you play only the Marlins and Nationals and then three games against the Yankees. You know, the Mets are going to have to go on a run. Like I said, 9-0. and Go 9-0 and going to those Yankee series. If the Mets walk in to that Yankee series at 72-67, and 67, five games over 500, uh, you know, am I going to be thinking they're going to go on this big tear and you know, win the division against the Braves. Uh, no, not necessarily, but they're going to be, they're going to be in much better position. And right now, you know, you have to consider the fact that the Mets are actually closer to the wild card at seven games than they are the division at seven and a half. So one way or another, they're going to have to get hot. If they're going to make the playoffs, they're going to have to go on an actual run. You're not going to be able to be, one of these teams getting the division on a, on a you know, getting into the playoffs on, a, on the back of a weak division. Because right now the division woke up, and even though the Phillies aren't great, they're still ahead of the Mets. And the Braves have remade their team on the run, and they might not be great, but they're a lot better than the Mets. And right now they're 10-11 games over 500, and, um, you know, they're, they, they got a tough week ahead of them too, by the way. Don't forget, now the Braves play three games against the Dodgers this week, including Wednesday, where they have to face uh, Max Scherzer. So they're going to be getting Bueller and Scherzer on back-to-back days, and, and and Urias, too. So those are three guys, not three slouches. If the Braves can go out there and take one of those games, I'm sure they'll be very happy with that. Um, you know, if not, then the Mets just have to go. It's all the more reason for the Mets to go out there and just know you cannot lose. You cannot. You have to go out there and win these games against the Marlins and the Nationals. No room for error. And it's uh, it's just a shame it's come to this because this is a season that had such promise. It started out so well with the good vibes and the people back in the stands and Steve Cohen and, um, you know, holding on to first place for all these weeks and 90 straight days. And, and now it just seems like it was a dream. Now it just seems like it didn't even happen, and that uh, you know, it just doesn't seem like any Mets season before. You know, the Mets are one of those teams where, if by the trade deadline or shortly thereafter that the the Mets are still, you know, relevant, that it, it'll be you know at, at least somewhat of a pennant race. Otherwise, the Mets are out of it by Memorial Day a lot of the time. You know, and and, and you know, come June. Okay, or at least July, you know, because the Mets have had a lot of those really bad 5-21 and 21 Junes where you just know that it's over, and that's it. And I believe they had one of those actually in 2019, which preceded a, a couple of months of really hot baseball, but just that bad June sunk them enough to make them miss the playoffs for three games. They had 86 wins, they did have 89 to make the playoffs in 2019, and the Mets uh, just buried themselves a little too much early that year. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time uh, talking about 
everything that we've seen with Javi Baez and the fans and all this stuff. But before we take our first break of the day, ladies and gentlemen, which I thank you once again for sticking around and letting me get all this off my chest, because we'll, in the second half of the show, we'll move on from the awfulness that is the New York Mets, and we'll get into uh, the Yankees and the Giants and the Jets and everything going on with those teams. But just to finish up with the Mets, I want to leave you with these thoughts. Who are these guys that you want to keep after this year? Is Luis Rojas the manager that you want? Is he a guy that you think is going to take this team to the next level? I don't know about that. I have my my doubts, and I ignored them for a lot of the year when they were in first place. But uh, they've really come to light, and it's not all Louis' fault. A lot of it's on on execution and and the players producing and getting the job done, and not doing it this year. But I don't know. Louis Rojas doesn't seem to be as much of a plus as he should be. Um, also. Dominic Smith, one of, probably the best offensive force on the Mets last year. Garbage this year. Getting very little from Dom. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of Dom. I, I like him. Um, I think his personality on the team helps a lot, too. He loosens people up. But he has had a bad year. Uh, you know, he's got a big question mark next to his name. What are you doing with Dom? What are you doing with J.D. Davis? Uh, the guy has had trouble staying healthy this year. Um, his his bat has been inconsistent. Early on, his glove was terrible. I think his glove has gotten better lately, but he's lost a lot of playing time to guys like Jonathan VR. So, I don't know. Do you, the I think one of the key components to putting together a winning team for the foreseeable future is to get a rock at third base that you know you can rely on. And the guy I got my eye on right now isn't Javi Baez, or anybody on this team right now, it's a, it's one of the guys that they should have got instead of Javi Baez, Chris Bryant. Especially if you're giving up away the prospect they gave up. But, you know, we'll get to that another day. You know, also Marcus Stroman. What are you doing with Marcus Stroman after this year? I like Stroman a lot. He's 30 years old. Uh, he's he's going to be looking for a long-term deal. He had a good year. You know, he's 9-12 and 12 right now. 2.85 ERA, top 10 in the league. Um, he's been an anchor on that rotation in, in Jake's absence. Um, do you give him the big bucks? You're probably going to have to pay him 100 mil. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Same thing with Conforto. You know, Conforto's going to be looking, or at least was looking, for 150 to 200 mil. What's he going to get after this year? Do you trust guys like Seth Lugo? Do you trust Jeff McNeil? Will Jake ever be healthy? Is Carlos Carrasco finally turning the corner? All these questions have to be answered at some point, and I, I don't know if they're going to be answered this year. It uh, looks like this year might be another lost one for the Mets, but um, whoever the Mets are, have making the decisions in the offseason is going to have to figure that out. But with that, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take our first break of the day. Thanks for sticking here with me on this Sunday night, and uh, we'll be coming back on the other side with a little Yankees, a little Jets, and a little Giants. So stick around. We'll be back in a minute. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 12:40 a.m. Or listen live online at WGBBRadio.com. 
Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And welcome back once again, ladies and gentlemen, to WGBB, uh, WGBB Sports Talk New York, right here on 1240 AM WGBB New York. Thanks for sticking around with me here um, on this Sunday night. Um, I had to get that off my chest, that uh, that Mets uh, debacle in that first half of the show. I feel cleansed now. I feel like I can move on. So uh, I, I hope other Mets fans feel that way because... Uh, that was like a cathartic experience for me. I really just needed to rip the Mets publicly because they deserved it. And um, I I hope, I highly doubt anybody heard that, but I hope they didn't need to hear it because the uh, the Mets really, really have to go on a run the second half of the season. And, um, you know, I would love to play this audio from you or, or for you a few weeks from now and tell everybody how wrong I was. So hold me to those words, Mets. Hold me to those words. I, I, I want to be wrong. I want to be wrong more than anything. So please, please. But but while we're at it, um, let's get to uh, a little winning baseball teams right now. And one of the uh, most winning baseball teams since the All-Star break and since especially the uh the trade deadline is the New York Yankees um and one of the t- the players that's really um exploded since then for the Yankees is Giancarlo Stanton uh you know prior to right before the trade deadline on July 30th uh now remember too one of the things you have to remember is that on July 30th was the game in Miami Giancarlo Stanton's old stomping grounds where Aaron Boone and the Yankees moved him to play in the outfield for the first time in a couple of years. I don't think he played in the outfield since maybe a few games in 2019, definitely not last year. But I think mainly in 2018, his first year at the Yankees, was the last time he spent significant time playing in the outfield and not just being a, a DH for the Yankees. And, you know, call it a coincidence if you want. Call it... um you know, a good player finally getting hot for the first time in a while. But take a look at these numbers. Prior to July 30th, the first day that he started in the outfield, he was hitting 255, 352 on base percentage, 450 slugging percentage, 801 OPS. Um, you know, not bad numbers, uh, but not numbers that you'd call superstar type numbers. Since then, 304 batting average, 402 on base, 620 slugging percentage, and over a thousand OPS. Um, now you know. Look, you can take a lot of those numbers and not be a fan of the the analytical approach to baseball these days and the way stats are looked at and how I just told you how good Giancarlo Stanton has been for the last month without even telling you how many home runs and RBIs he hit. Which for me, that's kind of <laughs> you know that's one of the things that get under my skin about baseball stats these days. But look, these are the stats. 
that um that they publish, these are the stats that they talk about, and these are the stats that executives in the front office look at. So, um, but you know, let's look at another thing too. Let's look a little bit deeper, right? So, the Yankees, since they salvaged a split with the Mets, if you remember, the Mets and the Yankees played a three-game series over July Fourth weekend. The Mets took two out of three. Where uh, the Mets finished that series forty-three. And 37. Six games over 500. The Yankees finished that series by winning the last game to jump back over 500 to 42 and 41. Since that day, <laughs> the Yankees have gone 34 and 12, and the Mets have gone 20 and 30. Ten games under 500 since that day. 20, 20 wins and 30 losses for the Mets. 34 wins for the Yankees and 12 losses for the Yankees. So, uh, two teams going in opposite directions. But if you even want to take a closer look at that, most of that success for the Yankees has been since the trade deadline. Because in the trade deadline, the Yankees were 53 and 48. Eight and a half games back out of first place. Since then, they've gone 23 and 5 when they, since adding Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs and Joey Gallo from the Texas Rangers. Also, they added Andrew Heaney, uh, the left-handed starting pitcher from the Angels, who's been up and down. He had a couple, of, but he did have a good seven-inning outing against the Boston Red Sox at one point, which was very clutch. But just think about that. Since acquiring those three players, and obviously they brought up the, the kid Velasquez, the shortstop, and Tyler Wade's been up and down, and the Yankees have had a litany of players come through for the last couple of weeks and all produce really for the most part. But 23 and 5 since that point. Since they were 53 and 48, eight and a half games back. Unfortunately for the Yankees, during that 23 and 5 stretch, Tampa Bay has been almost just as hot. And the Yankees have only picked up three and a half games in the division. So the Yankees currently on a 23 and 5 run, five games back of the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, but the Yankees went from being nine games back in the wild card to being two games up in the wild card. So an 11-game swing in the standings for the Yankees in the the right direction, unlike the Mets, who have an 11-and-a-half-game swing the opposite way. So the Yankees, one of the biggest contributing factors to this this big turnaround was the Yankees' 13-game winning streak. 13 straight, most they've had since September of 1961. Um, that was the season in which the Yankees won 109 games. You know, Mickey Mantle hit 50-plus home runs. Roger Maris broke the uh, Babe Ruth home run record, 61. And the Yankees were going to beat the Cincinnati Reds in the World Series that year. This year, the Yankees 13 straight to put them back in the division hunt, back in the AL playoff pitcher. Um, you know, they get themselves back in, in to this, you know, stratosphere that they've strived for all year where they were a mediocre team for most of it. But for the last year, they've just, uh, for the last month, they've just gotten hot as hell. And, um, you know, you got to hope for the Yankees that continues. They got more good news later this week as Corey Kluber. That's right. Mr. No, no from earlier this year, the starting pitcher. He's back on the mend. He's supposed to be coming back tomorrow and making the start. Uh, the Yankees are going to be in Los Angeles tomorrow playing the Angels. 
uh, 9.38, start tomorrow night, Monday night. And they're going to have um, Corey Kluber on the mound. He's expected to throw somewhere between 65 and 75 pitches. So the Yankees probably are expecting mostly a bullpen day tomorrow. Probably three, maybe four innings, five if he's really breezing through it. Uh, but the Angels have a pretty decent offense, so it might be tough to do that. But it's a good barometer to put him up against, especially on the road, too. Um, you know, so you got that, and then you get the three against the Angels, and you come home for Baltimore and Toronto. So the Yankees really have a chance to continue this hot streak, and they're 20 games over 500 right now. They got a real good shot to push this thing to 30 and more than that and uh, really make a, a drive for another 100-win season, which is definitely in their uh, grasp at the moment, no doubt about it. Um, you know, you know some, some of these guys I mentioned, Giancarlo Stanton's numbers. Well, look at this. Uh, you know, Aaron Judge. Think about this. Eight, the last 18 games for Aaron Judge, he's hitting 400 with a 494 on base percentage. Uh, he's slugging 754, which is second in the league in that time. Same thing with his on base and batting average. And he's got six home runs and 20 RBIs. Uh, he is just really locked in, averaging more than a run a game. Uh, this is the type of Aaron Judge the Yankees need. And he's having a great year, just around 30 home runs, 75 RBIs. He's locked in for at least close to, you know, he'll probably have 35-plus, 100-plus RBIs, 110-plus. So that's a big year, and the Yankees have needed Judge to put together a big season like that since his rookie year, which he really hasn't done because he's struggled. Even in years where he's had good years, he still hasn't had that uh, that big year where you look at the the impressive numbers on the back of the baseball card really haven't been there. Um, so the Yankees are looking for that in Judge. Uh, also, Luke Voigt. Now, something that could have really been a problem for the Yankees, and you really have to also tip your cap to Aaron Boone. For the way Aaron Boone, and for the amount of criticism, I mean, people in, in May and June, and even April, had Aaron Boone on the chopping block. He's in the hot seat. Yankees got to be getting a new manager. This guy can't get the job done. He can't win. They get jealous in the playoffs, this and that. He's the worst thing ever. Um, and now, you know, Aaron Boone could be the AL manager of the year. I mean, it's going to be him, Tony La Russa, um, you know, probably the, the Astros manager. There's going to be guys in there, maybe Alex Cora, if the Red Sox, you know, stay relevant. Um you know, there's going to be a lot of people in there, but um, Aaron Boone really deserves it for the way he's kept this team together, the way uh, he never lost faith, he never really panicked. Um, he showed frustration at times, but he kept the guys all together, kept them all on the same page. And, you know, one thing, you know, J- Joe Torre won four World Series as the Yankees manager. And one of the things that he was praised for the most was the way he handled all the star-like personalities on the team. That nobody, you know, th- there was no hostility, there was no angry people, there were no complaining about playing time and this and that, and, you know, guys on the bench complaining and guys in the starting lineup not want to come out and this and that, you know. That was the good thing that, that Tory did. He was able to manage all those guys keep everybody happy, and win games, and eventually World Series titles. 
Um, Aaron Boone hasn't won the World Series titles yet, but he's showing that he has that same ability that Tory did to manage these personalities. You know, a guy like Luke Voigt coming off the DL now. This is a guy who, you know, in a lot of people's eyes, could have lost his job to Anthony Rizzo, who is a highly touted, very good defensive first baseman who has a World Series championship, is, is a big left-handed bat that the Yankees have needed and craved. Um, and this guy, Anthony Rizzo, hit a home run his first game here. He's looked good. He had COVID, so he hasn't really uh, responded too well. But Ant- but Luke Voigt made it known before coming back, or just as he was coming back and he was being activated by the Yankees, that he was not going to be happy about losing playing time. He was not good. He, he was, wasn't going to allow it to happen. And you know how he hasn't allowed that to happen? Because Luke Voigt was activated uh, from the IL on August 8th. And since then, he's gone out and hit five home runs and driven in 18 runs. That's how you keep your name in the lineup. That's how you show everybody, hey, I know you brought this guy in. I got no problem with you bringing in more talent. But don't keep me out of the lineup. Find a way to get me in the lineup. Find a way to get me that playing time because I'm going to produce for you. And that's what he's done. 18 RBIs since that time. The Yankees front office really, really went all in with picking in, with picking up these guys and getting Haney and getting, um, Joey Gallo from Texas and picking up Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs. And, you know, Joey Gallo, a lot of people can look at Joey Gallo and think that he's just one of these launch angle type players that's all about home runs. And big time strikeouts. And there's no doubt about it that if you have Joey Gallo in your lineup, your strikeouts is going to go up and your contact is going to go down. But Joey Gallo, I'll give him this, although he's only hitting 146 in his time with the Yankees. Now, I'm sure a lot of people are going to hear that and be like, holy crap, he's only hitting 146. It's true. But you know what? He's got five home runs. He's got 10 plus RBIs in the time he's been here. A couple weeks, I think he's got 12 or 13 RBIs. So the guy has done enough in his first month in pinstripes that even though he's hitting 146, you could still, he still has paid off. He still has been beneficial to have him out there. He's made a couple of stellar catches in the outfield. He plays a pretty good defense. Um, you know, I, I think he brings a, a lot of athleticism to the table too, which a lot of people wouldn't have thought. Same thing with Aaron Judge now, too. You see Aaron Judge is you know, stealing six bases over the last few weeks. I think this is a guy we're finally seeing healthy in Aaron Judge. And, you know, to get back to Joey Gallo, I think Joey Gallo, um, we haven't seen the best of him yet. Uh, but they don't need to. They don't need to right now. The Yankees are on a roll. All you got to do is get him right and hope because just like with the Yankees manager, you know, he got traded to the Yankees, Aaron Boone, at just like the, just like Rizzo and just like, um, Joey Gallo at, on the trade deadline on, um, in, in 2003, the year the Yankees won the pennant and went to the World Series, beat the Red Sox in the ALCS and lost to the Marlins in the World Series. Aaron Boone, the Yankees current manager, was traded from the Cincinnati Reds to the Yankees in the, in a deal on July 31st of that year, came over to the Yankees, played the rest of the season with them. 
just like Gallo and Rizzo this year, that, you know, Boone had to find his way. Uh, he had a, you know, up and down final two months of the year at the club, but they won 103 games, won the division, made the playoffs, and went to the World Series on the back of an Aaron Boone home run off Tim Wakefield in Game 7. Um, all they need for for this this trade deadline to be considered a win, which it really should already be considered a win for the way these guys have performed and the impact that it's had on the team in reality. But to really not be questioned, no matter what happens for the rest of the year, if either one of those guys can go out there and have a playoff moment like Aaron Boone did, I know it probably won't be as big as hitting a game-winning home run in extra innings of Game 7 to beat the Red Sox in one of the most hotly contested American League Championship Series of all time. I know it's probably not going to reach that level. But if they could compare, you know, even get anything that you could compare to that from one of those guys, you know, the then you just have to tip your cap to the Yankees' front office. And this was a front office that was getting killed, and in a lot of cases, rightfully so, in the first half of the season. So... You know, a lot of things are going right for the Yankees. Um, you know, and you just got to say that now, over these these uh, these next few weeks now, against a couple of weaker teams, especially for, except for Toronto, the Yankees have to just keep pushing forward, get the job done, and um, you know, put themselves in position to win the division. If if the Rays should slip a little bit, and if the Rays don't slip, get yourself ready for that wild card game, win it, and uh, you know. Get, get in the playoffs and make some noise. The Yankees have the guys to make the noise. If you have a division series where you got to face Garrett Cole and Corey Kluber and, you know, who else the Yankees want to roll out there? Maybe even Nestor Cortez, who's been pretty good, or Jordan Montgomery, who went out and had a good game tonight in, uh, in Oakland. You know, um, there's so many things that, uh, the, uh, the Yankees can put themselves in position more for if they have the next month. I mean, and it doesn't have to be as good as this August, because this August for the Yankees has been out of this world. But if the Yankees can go out there and have anything resembling that in September, it'll be a really, really, uh, you know, it, it'll put them in position to, to win the division. And that's all you can ask. But, you know, Tampa Bay is going to have a, a, a say in that, too. And they've been playing lights out lately, too. So, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, just to, to, to close up on the Yankees there, um, you know, they cut, they play the Angels, Baltimore, and then Toronto. Then they get the Mets. So, who knows? The Mets season could be completely over by then, depending what happens. So, those could be patsy games for the Yankees coming into City Field. Who knows what it's going to look like? But you know, they're going to be pumped up for it. And either way, with the 20 year, um, you know, um, honoring of uh, September 11th and everything going on there for that weekend, you know it's going to feel like a big special weekend one way or another, uh, especially if the Yankees continue to play the way that they've been. Um, so to, to move on, I know uh, I spent a lot of time in this in this hour talking about the uh, talking baseball, Mets and the Yankees. Um, you know, I, I, I want to touch on the Giants just to start because the, the Jets made a trade today. So I've got a lot to say about the Jets, but um, you know the, the Giants actually did play today. They're playing their final preseason game against the New England Patriots. They ended up losing that game 
22 to 20, uh, taking an 0 and 3 mark for the preseason. As you saw, you know, the Giants dropped week one to the Jets 12 7. Giants lost 17 13 to Cleveland, uh, about a week ago. Yeah, it was a week ago on the 22nd. Uh, they played the Patriots, lost 22 to 20. Um, actually, surprisingly, Daniel Jones played the entire first half, going 17 for 22, 135 yards, a touchdown and a pick. Um, I think it was a really, really aggressive and good move by um, second year now Giants coach Joe Judge to run the kid out there and see what he's got. Um, you know, it, it it didn't work out tonight. Obviously, it doesn't matter. I mean, they you know Mac Jones played a little bit for the Patriots. Uh, and, and, and even Cam Newton got in there. So there were a lot of first-team reps going on in this game, surprisingly. Um, it's actually kind of cool that the final NFL preseason game, you know, actually feels like it uh, it means a little bit more than it has, I mean, previous years. Obviously, last year there was no preseason. But 2019 and the decade prior to that, if not longer, the fourth preseason game was treated as a complete joke. And, you know, that's where you'd see, you know, for Jet fans, Christian Hackenberg and, you know, all these these nightmare players that, you know, had never even, you know, wouldn't even sniff the, uh, uh, for any playing time in the regular season. That's what you'd see in the fourth preseason game. But, um, you know, now with there only being three, you really want to get your guys' reps out there. To be honest, I was kind of surprised if uh, I want to talk about the, to, to close the show now. Spend a few minutes on the Jets. I was very surprised that um, coach, uh, new head coach Robert Salah, really didn't have Zach Wilson. You know, he had a, a nice run in that first game where they beat the Giants. He uh, he played a couple of series. He was six for nine, sixty three yards. Uh, didn't really take too many chances. Had a uh, you know just a really responsible couple of drives that he was out there. Not much offense going on in that game anyways. The Jets beat the Giants that week 12-7. But then where you really started to see some flashes that got people excited and got people talking was when they played the Packers. And even though I think that Packers game, even though the win looked good um, on paper, uh, that Packers thing is really going to have a sour taste to me for the rest of the season, and if not longer than that, because they had joint practices prior to that preseason game with the the Green Bay Packers, and um, there was a lot of experience between Rodgers and and, uh, Zach Wilson, which I'm sure was mutually beneficial, but the thing that really will always stick out to me is that Carl Lawson, who is a 26-year-old defensive end, Formerly of the Cincinnati Bengals, the Jets went out and signed him to a big free agent contract this offseason. Three years, $45 million, and he was having a hell of a camp. He was looking like one of the more standout players on the roster. Like, this was a guy that you can count on. He could have a, a 10-plus sack season, from a, you know, especially with the way that Robert Salah likes to play, that he was going to really help the corners, and, uh, you know, especially these young, undeveloped corners the Jets have, that having this pass rusher for the first time in probably over a decade uh, was really, really going to help this team and improve this defense. And of course, he goes out there and ruptures his Achilles Achilles tendon in one of these, you know, these joint practices with another team. I don't get it. 
Because I, I, cause, you know, when you're practicing against your team, it's practice. The, you know, the old Allen Iverson line, come on, this is practice, man. This is practice we're talking about. But when you're practicing against another team, it gets the juices flowing. It gets, you know, you feeling more competitive. It's getting, it's, it's you wanting to, to prove something to another team. And, you know, Carl Lawson, um, I'm sure that played some kind of role in it. Probably not everything. It's probably not the sole reason why he got injured. But, uh, unfortunately he did. He ruptured his Achilles tendon. He's out for the entire season. And what the Jets did today was address that need that they've had for at least the last week since he got hurt and acquired, um, also a defensive end. Obviously they needed him to play the same position, Shaq Lawson. So they're not related, but Shaq Lawson, uh, a former high draft pick, former Buffalo Bill, uh, you know, pretty good pass rusher who had a good salary. He, you know, he, he had a good contract because he was making good, t- um, you know, good money for his, his production. He was playing really well for a couple of years at a, at a high level. Um, he was with the Texans. They already paid most of his salary. So the Jets this year are getting him for, I think, about under a million. I think it's around 860000 The Jets are going to end up paying him this year. And he's a, and the Houston Texans have already paid him his seven, you know, most of his seven million dollar salary. So that's really a good move, a shrewd move for the Jets. You picked up a player that could be a potential difference maker on on the end. They needed a guy out there. Um, you get a guy who's a good player, who's you've been in this division before. He, you know, especially going against the Bills, it'll be nice to have him on in in, in their locker room and. um I really, really think that uh, Joe Douglas deserves praise for this move. The Jets really needed to pull something off uh, because I, I feel like there was like a, a cloud following them around after that injury. And while there was a lot of good feelings early in camp, those feelings were kind of washed away the last week or two. But look, now we got two weeks. The Jets open week one against Carolina and former uh, top pick Sam Darnold. And then the home openers the week after that against New England. Um, a lot of a lot of things to look forward to with football. I'll have to get into it next time as I'm really running low on time here. Um, you know, I, I really want to thank everybody for for spending your Sunday night with me and talking sports. Uh, the first half of the show I know probably sounded a lot like a therapy session talking about the Mets, but you know what? I had to get that off my chest. And I'm sure a lot of Mets fans agreed with what I said, and um, you know, just a. Uh, Really just want to thank everybody for, for, for sticking around with me here. Um, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can check me out at Kramer New York. That's my last name, C-R-A-M-E-R-N-Y. Check me out there on Twitter. Check out at WGBB Sports Talk on Twitter, too. Give us a like on Facebook. We have all the old shows up and everything on the website, so check that stuff out. Thanks for sticking around, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks to Rob. Thanks to Brian. Have a great weekend. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.